Now, I could speak to you for a while, or I could read you James 1.22. Because that sums up in just 16 words today's Bible reading. And then I could close in prayer. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let us pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together to worship you and learn from your word. This morning, may we be quick to listen to you, slow to speak and slow to anger. May the power of the Holy Spirit bring clarity and understanding in our hearts and minds. May I present your truth and only your truth as I speak now. I ask this in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus. Amen. Oh, well, I'm up here now. And have you ever known me to give up the chance to speak about God's word? I don't think so. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Sisters, art thou born again? Have you fled to Jesus for refuge? If yes, then the book of James is written for you. God, through James, shows us how to live our new life, a life that's marked by new desires, new habits and new longings, a life set apart to serve God, a life unstained by the world, a changed life. You become the woman you were made to be. When you are born again, there is no disguising that you are a follower of Jesus. You will be different. People will see it, hear it, and feel it. That you love the word and live the word will radiate from you. Now, back in the day, many years ago, I went to Sydney Girls High. I was proud to be a Sydney girl, to be able to study classics at one of the very few public high schools that taught Latin and Greek and taught it to girls. How did people recognise that I was a Sydney girl? Well, apart from the fact that I walked around speaking ancient Greek. No, <laughs> I wasn't that good. Out on the street, a Sydney girl looked distinctive. The uniform with the crest and motto, Labor Omnia Vincit, on our blazer pocket and on our Panama hats and even on our gym bags. When you were a Sydney girl, people knew it. You loved it. And you lived it joyfully. In my 30s, I became a mother. How did people recognise that I was a mother? I carried all the paraphernalia of motherhood, spare clothes, lotions, potions, toys, books, food, all just in case when we went out. But I could simply have been the nanny. What clinched it was, I turned my head as soon as I heard the word mummy. When you are a mother, people know it, you love it, and you live it joyfully. Most of us here in church this morning would say, I'm a Christian, 
plenty of people who wouldn't dream of coming to church, or maybe at Easter or Christmas or for a wedding, they'd also say that they are a Christian. They possibly put Anglican on their census forms and they wouldn't consider even for a moment that they were misrepresenting themselves. Who am I to say that they aren't Christian? I don't know them. I don't know what's in their hearts. There isn't a uniform. There isn't a word that called out makes a Christian turn her head. Now before I say any more, I want you to know that when you are born again, you are given a new heart immediately. And in that moment, your priorities change. But the evidence of your transformation becomes more and more obvious over time. You will struggle, as Anne spoke about this morning. Keep that in mind as I speak. Now on the next one, please. That's it. Thanks. If you were arrested today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you? As a follower of Jesus, do people know it? Do you love it? Do you live it? So what exactly is the evidence that the prosecutor will present to the jury? It'd be helpful if you've got your Bibles open at today's reading. In verse 19, James continues with, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The everyone refers to followers of Jesus. And what we are to listen to is God's word. We know that because of the context. Verse 18, verse 22. It's right in the middle, so it's God's word. So the first thing that the prosecutor will present to the jury as it is that we are quick to listen to God's word. The prosecutor will say, when the accused is stressed, she quickly goes to God's word. Members of the jury, when she's upset, she quickly goes to God's word. Same again for when she is fearful, sad, unsure, distressed, lonely, thankful, joyful, happy, Name any time of the day. Ditto. The prosecutor will point out that he has even more evidence of this. The accused knows who she is because she knows who God is. She is certain of what God says and not just what she thinks he says. Look how it makes her courageous and fruitful and joyful. Have you ever thought that if we are slow to listen to God's word, who are we listening to first? Well, I'm guessing it's probably our own selfish desires, all the world's. I think the case against us then would be dismissed immediately. As an aside, how much are we going to learn about God? How deep will our relationship become? if we are willing to give him just a few minutes of attention each day. Now, still in verse 19, James tells us, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. That's right. Don't jump in when God is speaking to us. Don't argue with him. He has the big picture. We don't. 
It's true that the more time we spend studying God's Word, not just having a cursory read of it each morning, the more we will realise that we are getting to know God more intimately. Believe me, there are times when I long for a particular passage of Scripture to disappear. Wouldn't life be easier? But the Bible wasn't written for my sense of comfort amongst my non-believing family and friends. It was written so you and I will come to know God's supreme everything, his majesty, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and not just his love and mercy and plans for us. You know, there will be times when we may feel anger towards God. We are sinners. God wants us to turn to him, not away from him. We have the Psalms as a great life guide through all our many emotions. Anyway, being angry per se is not really the issue. The issue is, who are you angry at and why? Is it righteous or unrighteous anger? Jesus was angry. I'd say he was enraged at death when Lazarus died. He was furious at the money lenders. But his wasn't a selfish anger. He wasn't angry with God. His anger was righteous and just. It was on behalf of God. Look, I'm pretty sure that being angry with God too often and too easily reflects where our heart is at, focusing on our desires not on God's holiness. And it slows our spiritual growth. Look at verse 20. It does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And if we express that anger where our non-Christian friends and family will hear, what consequences could there be? I'll tell you what. If the jury heard us, they might start considering us innocent as being a Christian. Verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you. We are to welcome God's word into our hearts. So we will love the word and be humbled by it. And dare I say, broken by it. I said people knew I was a Sydney girl. I wore the uniform. Well, I loved being a Sydney girl. I was chuffed when I got selected to go there. I loved that my mother had been and that my sister was a Sydney girl. It was a golden, potentially life-changing opportunity. But you know what else it was? It was humbling. And I definitely learned more from the humbling. Well, being a follower of Jesus is not just a potentially life-changing opportunity. It is life-changing but it's humbling. So store with love the word that has been planted in you. Nourish it, feed it, the precious, the living, the active word, the word that brought you new life. What evidence will the prosecutor have that shows that the word is planted in you? Is it working in you? Have you been broken by what you see in yourself through scripture? Is it awakening your conscience? And what will the prosecutor say to the jury? Members of the jury, here we have a woman 
who is willing to deal humbly with any ugliness she sees in her life. Does that describe you? Or do you tell yourself that you have no time to read scripture and your friends will agree it's just your season of life? Listen to me, they aren't your friends. Let's look at verse 22. The verse we began with, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can have all the trappings of a Christian, a Bible at home, a verse or two on your refrigerator, be a member of a life group, even have the coup on addiction. But you tell yourself little lies, the little lies that you want to believe. You deceive yourself by listening, listening passively, by not following up, by changing not one iota, by substituting knowing for doing. Isaiah 29, 13a. These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. Your lips alone won't cut it, sisters. God isn't interested in lip service. He isn't interested in you playing games. That is hypocrisy. Sisters, God demands a relationship with you and that requires obedience. And why not make it joyful obedience? It's doing what God says. It's living life as a true follower of Jesus. You do realise that you won't treat God by your lip service. You probably won't treat the jury either. But sadly, you may very well trick yourself. Now verses 22 to 24 say, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. When you hear God's word, you are being given the opportunity to reflect on your life, as you are now. You are being invited to change your life. If you realise at that moment that you are heading in the wrong direction, but you quickly turn away from that knowledge and start making excuses, you know, it's just too hard, too hard to handle right now, I'll do it later, oh, anyway, I'm not so bad, I'll deal with it sometime. James is saying, if you do that, you know what will happen. You won't fix it. You won't repent. You won't deal with what your affliction has shown you. Every time you do that, you move further away from God. And you are doing the moving, not him. Sisters, God is ready to do the healing in your life. If you are that woman, you are rejecting the truth. You hear, but you don't do. Sisters, we know what to do when God's word convicts us that we are living our life off track. 
Take heed. Look even further into that mirror that is the Bible. In verse 25, James says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Study the word intently, not superficially. Don't simply skim it to find a verse you like. You know, a feel-good verse, often a verse taken out of context. I certainly have been guilty of doing that when I didn't know better. Read it carefully. Study it in context. Read whole books. Go back and read that book again and again. Don't gloss over what you are reading. Take your time. Put in effort. Don't rely on devotionals. I love devotionals. I read them every day. But I read the Bible more and I read it first. Ask yourself daily, what did this passage teach me about God? Because you need to see that before you can see what it is saying about you. Invite the Holy Spirit to point out your sin. Sisters, this is life-changing. So, if you were standing in a court of law today, charged with being a Christian, would the jury find that you love the word? Now, do we live it? What evidence will be presented in court for that? Well, the prosecutor will be looking at verses 26 and 27. What comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. It gives solid evidence of who we are. That's a hard truth. Now, this is a gut-feeling guess. But it is a guess, but it's my guess. That verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. I think verse 26 may reveal to some of us, maybe to many of us, certainly to me, a well-hidden trap. If you feel convicted by verse 26, don't walk away and forget. I know that we all want to live a life of genuine faith, so let's not come undone by a tongue that isn't on a tight rein. I know that I don't want to put my foot in that dirty mud puddle, and when I do it deliberately, as I sometimes do, it makes me feel dirty all over. Please, let's keep each other accountable on that one. When the prosecutor sums up your case, what will he say about you? This is what we want to hear. Will it be this woman claims that her life is not her own? She lives her life in worship of her king? She relies on him for her every breath? She knows that she is saved. She knows that God, God loves her because of the cross. She speaks the truth of Jesus lovingly. I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, she keeps a tight rein on her tongue. She admits she is a sinner and that it is only through the grace of the cross that she is saved. She shares with others 
the grace that she has received. She loves and she serves her brothers and sisters in Christ. It isn't a burden to her, but a privilege and a joy. Does she shake her fist at heaven when she sees the troubles of the world? No. She knows that God created her to reach out to the marginalised, to fight for justice, to comfort, to show Christ's love. Look at this woman. The word of God has transformed her. She has a new identity. Jesus is her refuge. She has been born again. Father, Son and Holy Spirit with the transforming power of the word in our hearts. May people know that we are born again. May we love that we are. And may we live it joyfully. I'll finish in prayer. Father, thank you for your life-saving word that you have implanted in our hearts. Reveal our sin to us and stir our hearts through your word. Transform us today into doers of the word. And by our actions we will testify to the greatness and the power and the truth of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.